What a great way to start the new year, remembering our Savior's sacrifice and then singing about our firm foundation. What better way to start a year than to be established on that firm foundation? I think if anyone is taking notes, when I die, that needs to be on my funeral list, my funeral song list. So make sure we put that in a mark somewhere. Uh, Joshua, the book of Joshua is where we're going to be. So if you would turn in your Bibles, your copy of God's Word to the book of Joshua. If you do not have a Bible, there's some in the seats in front of you. And Joshua chapter 15 is in the Old Testament where many of you are starting your reading plans. And I want to explain real briefly my preaching plan because um, I've done this a few times, but we've got new people here. My, my hope is to preach the whole counsel of God within a year. And what, I'm, what that means is I'm going to take 8 to 12 um, genre in the Bible and we will con- keep continuing. So we've done Genesis and then we did 8 to 12 sermons on Genesis and then we move and did like John. And then we come back to Genesis then the next year. So it's almost like seasons or episodes. Uh, and so what that does is that allows someone who might only be here for a year or a short period of time uh, to be able to get the whole counsel of God, not just maybe Isaiah for five years. Uh, as you know, how fast I go through these books. So we are back in Joshua. This is our second time in Joshua, or excuse me, our third time in Joshua. We've done it twice already. And so we're all the way in Joshua 15. Now, I don't know how many of you have read ahead, but you may be wondering, what in the world is there in Joshua 15 for me and my family? Don't you know, Pastor, that the world is falling apart? Don't you know that our economy is tanking? Don't you know that the elections just happened? And I say, absolutely, but you know who knows more? God. And God has a plan. And so one of the reasons I'm convinced as to why we should go through this passage is because I believe that all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is inspired. God has ordained that this be in the Bible for a reason. Not only that, but 1 Corinthians 10.11 says, these things happened to them as examples, talking about the Israelites, and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the age have come. So the Old Testament is written for our instruction. In fact, we should be reading Leviticus. We should be reading Numbers. We should not camp out only in the New Testament. uh, Because all Scripture points to Christ. All the Old Testament is prefiguring and pointing and prophesying and proclaiming Christ. uh, As I think somebody much smarter than me, much cleverer than me said, that uh, the Old Testament is the manger where Christ lays. Right? It is where Christ is shown. That's where we see Christ. So I don't think the apostle is joking when he says that we should study that. In fact, I'm hoping to model for you how to read the Old Testament and see the value in the Old Testament passages. And these passages, they teach us a lot about God and a lot about human nature. And so the main point of our passage is this. Because God is faithful in the details, we must respond in faith and receive the tangible benefits. So if you're a young person in this room or maybe a not-so-young person and you're taking notes, this is the key statement that you want to write down or you want to keep a copy of. 
And I'm going to repeat it for you. So, because God is faithful in the details, we must respond in faith and receive the tangible benefits. And what I've just done there is I've broken us into three points in our passage this morning. So if you notice, if you look at that, because God is faithful in the details, that's point one. We must respond in faith, that's point two, and receive the tangible benefits, that's point three. So if you're studying this, this is a great way for you to remember the entire sermon in just one sentence. It's a great way to keep it in your mind as you go. And I know I say I address it to the young people, but I know us older folks need that sometime as well. Uh, A reminder is how to listen to a sermon. So the good thing is you can you can learn that verse or this this little sentence and you can keep that with you. And every time you look at this passage, you can remember the point of this passage. It's a great way to meditate on scripture and to use it throughout the week. Now, what I'd like to do is open in prayer uh, for the word. So let's go ahead and bow our heads. Father, as we turn to your word this morning, Lord, we know that we are weak, that our minds drift, that this is a, a whole new year, and our minds have so many different things uh, going around inside of it. Uh, we're bouncing around, thinking about resolutions and plans, and we're thinking about what happened last year and how not to do the, the same mistakes that we made last year and to make a new start this year, and uh, just all the things that we, we consider, and maybe even some fear or some trepidation as to what the future might hold for us. So, Lord, we pray that you would calm our hearts and our spirits as we study this passage this morning, that the, the immense amount of history and, and narrative that we are approaching would not distract us from the message, uh, that we would see that you uh, are sovereign over this world and that you have a plan, even in the midst of strife and struggle. Lord, we, uh, we once again want to lift up uh, Country Estates Baptist Church as they uh, suffered the loss of their pastor uh, a couple weeks ago as uh, he had passed away. And so, Father, we pray uh, for him, uh, for his family, and for that church congregation as they mourn the loss of their pastor. Lord, we, uh, we pray for our church body as well as we have lost um, Judy Barnett, who was such a, an important member and a, a valuable uh, congregant in our congregation, Lord, and she had done so much and served so faithfully for so many years, uh, and her loss hits us all very hard. Lord, we pray for her family, for encouragement for them, for comfort for them uh, as we go forward. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your grace to us and your ability to bring us through uh, the hardest times. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we need a little bit of a history to, to catch us up to our narrative. So remember this, the people of Israel, they were promised a land to call their own. They were promised a place to call home, a place to rest. And they had spent many, many years in Egypt as slaves. Many generations were were born into captivity. And the Lord raised up Moses and brought them out into the wilderness. And they were in the wilderness, and they went into the, the edge of the promised land, They sent their spies, they had 12 spies, they sent them into the land to spy out. Those 12 spies come back, 10 of them give a a report saying, there's giants in them hills, right? They're, they're, They're big, we can't fight them, we're grasshoppers compared to them. In fact, we should just give up, it would have been better if we had been slaves in Egypt. And it, and they discouraged the entire body, the entire Israelite congregation, if you will. They were discouraged, and they said, man... But two of those spies said, yeah, they're big, 
But there's so much promise here. We should go and take them. The Lord is with us. But the Israelites chose to listen to the ten of the bad report, and they went back into the wilderness. Now, the two spies, and this is important for our passage today, were Joshua and Caleb. Those were the two that gave the good report. And so the Lord sustained them. He did not let them die in the wilderness. And so they're around 85 years old as they're entering into this new land, and they're fighting just like these young bucks going into war and into battle. And so Joshua has replaced Moses. He leads an invasion. Now think about this, slaves invading fortified cities. If you're a military person in this room, you'd recognize the audacity of that, the the bizarre nature of that. How can untrained peasants defeat walled cities? Well, it's only through God's help, God's faithfulness. And so we have this invasion. They've broken the back of the Canaanites. Essentially, all the different tribes that were in Canaan at the time, they've defeated their main armies, they've killed their kings, and now all that's left is to claim the individual portions of the land. And so what happens here is they cast lots and say, okay, God, what does the tribe of Judah get? And they essentially broke the land up into parts and cast lots for it. And then it was the responsibility of each tribe to subdue the rest of the land. So whatever's left, they have to take over. And remember the reason for this. The Canaanites were a very wicked people, right? So a lot of people will accuse Christians of, of genocide and, and say, or, or say that God is a God of genocide. Well, there's a reason for this. The Canaanites would beat drums as loud as they could in order to sacrifice infants so the parents wouldn't hear the screams of their dying children. That's the kind of wickedness that is happening in this land. Dads and moms would give their children up as sacrifices to their gods. That's wicked. And God has given them a portion of time before removing them from the land, and now is the time for them to be removed. So just keep that in mind that this genocide, if you will, is a judgment of God on the Canaanites. So let's go ahead and look at chapter 15 if you're there. And the first part of this is that God is faithful in the details. And that's going to be verses 1 through 12. Now chapter 15 here deals with the details of God's promise. It's really the fruition of Genesis chapter 12 and 15. Because remember, God promised Abraham the land of Canaan as an inheritance for his offspring. And he is, they're now the promise is now realized. This is the gift of the land that God promised. So what was generally promised to Abraham is now concretely fulfilled or given. So let's go ahead and read verse 1. Now the allotment for the tribe of the descendants of Judah by their clans was in the southernmost region, south to the wilderness of Zin and over to the border of Edom. Their southern border began at the tip of the Dead Sea on the south bay and went south to the Scorpion's ascent, proceeded to Zin, ascended to the south of Kadesh Barnea, passed Hezron, ascended to Adar, and turned to Karka. It proceeded to Asmon and to the brook of Egypt, and so the border ended at the Mediterranean Sea. This is your southern border. Now the eastern border was along the Dead Sea to the mouth of the Jordan. 
The border on the north side was from the Bay of the Sea at the mouth of the Jordan. It ascended to Beth Hagla, proceeded north to Beth Arabah, and ascended to the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. Then the border ascended to Debir from the valley of Achor, turned north to the Gilgal, that is opposite the ascent of Adumimim, excuse me, Adam Mim, which is south of the ravine. The border proceeded to the waters of En Shemesh and ended at En Rogel. From there, the border ascended to Ben Hinnom Valley to the south southern Jebusite slope, that is Jerusalem, and ascended to the top of the hill that faces Hinnom Valley on the west. At the northern end of the Rephraim Valley, and then from the top of the hill, the border curved to the spring of the waters of Neftoth, Neftoah, sorry, these, these are getting tongue twisters here, Neftoah, went to the cities of Mount Ephron, and then curved to Bala, that is, Kerith Jerem. The border turned westward from Bala to Mount Seir, went to the northern slope of Mount Jerem, that is, Kesh Salon, and descended to Beth Shemesh, and proceeded to Timnah. Then the border reached to the slope northern of Ekron, curved to Shikuron, proceeded to Mount Bala, went to Jabneel, and ended at the Mediterranean Sea. Now the western border was the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea, this was the boundary of descents of Judah around their clans. You're like, whoa, I gained so much spiritual insight from that passage. That really spoke to me. So if you're reading this, you probably would want to have a map available to you. And in the back of your Bible, I'm sure there's a map there. But what you're seeing is the southernmost part of Judah, of Israel, is given to Judah, essentially. And so... This is a portion that describes the details of their land. These are the particulars. Every city and town is exciting to the people of Judah. This is their property. This is their inheritance. This is a description of God's good gifts to his people. This close-up description may seem a little boring to us, but it really it should be exciting to us. And the reason is, is God who is faithful in the details. This is the God of the Israelites who is our God. That he would care enough about the details of every little city, every little jot and tittle that we're studying here is important because God is a God of details. Maybe an illustration might help you grasp this a little bit. Let's say that you received a letter from a distant uncle and it said that you had inherited his estate. Maybe it's in England somewhere where they have big old fat castles, right, that are really cool. And in that letter, it details everything that you would get, all the inheritance that you deserve or you were going to earn. Would you not read each line very carefully? If there was a map in there, do you think that you might go out to the land and walk it and look very carefully at each portion? Maybe you look at the, the fence line to see where it ends and where it starts. Maybe you would pull up a county map. I don't know if they have counties in England, but maybe a county map and you would look and compare it to what is said here. What, do, what belongs to me? What is my inheritance? Do 
This list is a testimony of God's faithfulness in the details. Each city here means something to the people of Judah. Now, in our day-to-day life, I think it can be easy for us to forget how detailed our God is. Have, have you guys ever thought of this, how easy it is to forget God in the details of our life? When you wake up in the morning, how easy is it to forget to praise Him for bringing us through another night? We don't deserve another day. We don't deserve another year. How, how many of you have failed the Lord in this last week? Amen. If you can't say amen, say ouch. All right? We fail the Lord regularly, so we don't deserve another week of rebellion. We don't deserve another day, another year to rebel against Him. But He is a God of the details, and He brings us through another night. And when we eat breakfast, you and I may only pray a short prayer, not really thinking about God's promise to sustain us. Matthew six twenty six says, Look at the birds of the air, that they do, they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? When you have breakfast in the morning, when you have food on the table, do you thank God for His provision, His promise to provide? I know I don't. I know I forget so quickly. And that's what this is. The daily faithfulness of our God should engender greater trust, especially when things seem so gloomy. When we look and we see that bacon, the price of bacon is, is so much more. I'm, I love bacon, right? When we see the price of eggs going up and the price of milk going up, do we look back at, at Matthew six twenty six and say, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Do you not trust in the promises of our God? But it should also lead us to respond in faith. Not only should this, this, this depiction of all these cities and all these towns be enough to, to raise our trust in Him, but it should cause us to respond in faith. So if you remember our, front, our first sentence, because God is faithful in the details, the second part is we must respond in faith. 13 through 19 describes a response of faith. Caleb, who is going to be mentioned here, who we're going to read, is known for his faithfulness. Remember, he was one of those two spies that gave a good report. And God sustained him and kept him alive. And we see earlier in Joshua that he has a portion for being faithful and trusting in God. He is given a particular part of the land as a, as a reward for his trusting of God. Verses 13 through 19 in our passage gives us a description of how Caleb fared in the land that was given to him. Now, we had a, a, that brief expression about how Caleb was sustained. And I, I really love how he says, I'm 85 years old, but I feel like a 20-year-old. That's essentially what he says. God has made me an 85-year-old man feel like a 20-year-old. He's like, I'm, I'm leading men into battle. I'm the first one jumping the wall. He was sustained by God through this. But Joshua 14, verse 8, I, I like how he describes his, his part in this great narrative of the invasion. It says, My brothers who went with me caused the people to lose heart, but I followed the Lord my God completely. Did you hear that? His report as a spy, he said, I followed the Lord my God completely, fully, 
without any doubt. This man who followed God completely is now about to get his inheritance as an 85-year-old man. Now, so this is our, our in-depth description about how Caleb disposes those who are living in Hebron. So let's go ahead and read 13 through 19. It says, He gave Caleb, son of Jephunneh, the following portion among the descendants of Judah, based on the Lord's instruction to Joshua. Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, Arba was the father of Anak. So you may want to mark that word, Anak. We'll come back to it. Caleb drove out from there the three sons of Anak, Sheshai, Ahimon, and Talmai, descendants of Anak. From there, he marched against the inhabitants of Debir, which used to be called Kirith Sefer. And Caleb said, Whoever attacks and captures Kirith Sefer, I will give my daughter Aksa, to him as a wife. So Othniel, son of Caleb's brother, Kenaz, captured it. And Caleb gave his daughter, Aksa, to him as a wife. When she arrived, she persuaded Othniel to ask her father for a field. And she got off her donkey. Caleb asked her, what can I do for you? She replied, give me a blessing. Since you have given me the land in the Negev, give me the springs also. So he gave her the upper and lower springs. We could also call this passage how to, how to win a wife. So if you're a young man looking to get married soon, you need to take over a city. That's the, that's the rules. But what an interesting story of conquest. There's fighting against the descendants of Anak. Now, if you remember who those are, those are the giants. That The very name Anak should 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 strike fear in the heart of you because these are monsters of men. These are giant men that are just powerful and they live in the hill country. And the Israelites, if they were to hear that name, should be afraid because these are monsters. These are giants. There's giants in the hills. But what happens? We barely get a little subscript about Caleb going up in there and removing them. No problem. Though these are some of the some of these descendants will also cause trouble later, David also has to deal with one of their descendants. Do you remember his name? Goliath, right? And that has that has captured um, modern society's thinking, right? We always talk about a David and Goliath story or uh, these giants that we have to deal with, etc. But the reality is, Caleb had to take the land from the giants. This is amazing that even though God is, is, is in the details, we still have to respond in faith. And we have this challenging city. It's always interesting to me that Caleb had to offer a special incentive to whoever would take the challenge, to take this challenging city. Now, of course, this is a common practice today, like a boss who offers a, a four-day weekend or a bonus if you accomplish some challenging work. Uh, but in this case... Othaniel, Caleb's nephew, captures the beer, and he gets a wife as well. This passage might be confusing because if you're familiar with the book of Judges, you'll read that Othniel is the first judge that God raises up in Judges 3, 8 through 11. So what is going on? 
Why is it in Joshua here we read about this Othniel taking this area, and then later in Judges we read about it? Why do you think that is? Have you thought about that before as you come across your, your reading plan? Well, it's because this is not chronological. This is not saying this happened and then this happened. What this is saying is this is describing the capturing of the land, and part of Judges deals with the solidifying and conquering of the land. And so we see that, and then this, this story of the capture of Debir is, is repeated in Judges chapter 1, 11 through 15. And it also shows Othniel as the paradigm of the deliverer because the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. So the Spirit of the Lord enables Othniel to take the city. And also these other judges of Israel as well. And, and, then, the, and then there's a, a, a regular saying that happens. And the land had rest. God raises up a judge. He conquers because the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him. And then the land has rest. But it's only a brief snapshot in our passage this morning. And so then we move on because the focus is really on Caleb. Caleb is the paradigm of a faithful man of God. If you are looking for someone to emulate, Caleb is a man to emulate because he has faith in action. And it shows the way forward that while this is a fearful assignment dealing with giants in combat, he trusted his God in order to take the land. We see how Caleb trusted in God who is faithful in the details and who is able to secure an inheritance for his clan. But he has to do it by being obedient. There has to be obedience. So trusting in God and His promise is a requirement to be a faithful person, a faithful man or a woman of God. But now a question for me arises when I read this is, am I willing to trust God? Am I willing to rest in His promise? He says that He will never leave or forsake the Christian. And if we're honest, it's hard to wait. Isn't it hard to wait, to trust God and wait for deliverance? Especially when we, we want to get out of a, a, a troubling situation. There's a, something that we're struggling against and we're continually living in it. And it says, wait upon the Lord for our salvation and trust in His promises. It says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So when I, am, when I feel alone and abandoned, do I trust in this God? Do I trust in this God that Joshua 15 talks about? When I look at a tanking economy and I begin to worry over my food, do I trust? Do I say, look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor do they reap, nor they gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them? Are you not worth much more than they? You know, when I'm weary and I need rest, do I trust Matthew 11:28 through 30? That says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you find it easy or hard to trust in these promises of the Lord? But the reality is this, guys. These promises are for Christians. You have to be in Christ. You have to belong to the people of God to be able to claim these promises. And if you're a non-believer in this room, if you have not put your trust in God, and really more specifically 
in Jesus Christ who died in our place, who conquered the giant of death and sin by living a perfect life and dying in the place of His people, I want you to know that you can trust in God and His promise that those who belong to Him through Jesus will not be cast out. You will not be cast out. In fact, we, we even find out that later on, if you, if you belong to Christ, you are going to grow in holiness. The will of God is your sanctification, is your made to be more like Jesus. And he says that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, according to Philippians 1.6. And if, if that's true, if you are a believer in Jesus and you are struggling with some sin, do you cling to that promise? Do you trust in that promise that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus? That he is still working on you. That he's not done with you. He hasn't given up on you, if that's what you might be thinking. All you need to do is come to him, and that's a promise that you can trust. Now, because God is faithful in the details... We must respond in faith, which means trusting in His promises, being obedient to His Word, doing what God's Word tells us. And then we must receive the tangible benefits. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. This next passage, next portion, is difficult. There are like a lot of cities in this here. And we have a list of city names. Most of these cities have little meaning to us because we do not have context. But for the Israelites, these all mean something to them. It's tangible and real. It's an actual physical benefit. After years of wandering in the wilderness, a place to call home and be established is the result. As we read them, I want you to consider how the people of Judah would hear these cities, what they might be thinking of as these cities are listed as their inheritance. Okay, we're going to read verses 20 through 63. And I want you to think about this. What would it be like to be the people of Israel, the people of Judah, hearing your inheritance? Verse 20 says, This was the inheritance of the tribe of the descendants of Judah by their clans. These were the outermost cities of the tribe of the descendants of Judah towards the border of Edom in the Negev. Kabzeel, Eder, Jagger, Kina, Dimana, Adada, Kadesh, Hazor, Ithnan, Ziph, Telam, Biloth, Hazor, Hadada, Kiroth, Hezron, that is Hazor, Amam, Shema, Molada, Hazar Gada, Heshmon, Beth, Pelet, Hazar, Shul, Beersheba, Bithio, Thea, Bala, Iam, Ezum, Eltolad, Kesil, Horama, Ziglag, Madmana, San, San, Na, Leboth, Shilihim, Ain, Rimam, 29 cities in all with their settlements. In the Judean foothills, you have Eshtelal, Zorah, Ashna, Zanoa, Enganim, Tapuah, Enam, 
Jarmuth, Adulam, Soko, Azekiah, Sharem, Adithaim, Gedarah, and Gedarothaim. Fourteen cities with their settlements. Zainan, Hadashah, Migdogad, Dillon, Mizpeh, Jokthael, Lachish, Boskath, Eglon, Kabon, Lamam, Kitlish, Gedaroth, Beth Dragon, Dagon, Nema, and Makeda. Sixteen cities with their settlements. Now, just a, a brief mention here. A lot of these cities are named after gods, foreign deities. Now they belong to who? Yahweh, the true living God. Just amazing. Um, where was I? 42. Libna, Ether, Ashan, Ifta, Ashna, Nezib, Kila, Akzib, and Marishash. Nine cities with their settlements. Ekron with its surrounding villages and settlements. From Ekron to the sea, all the cities near Ashdod with their settlements. Ashdod with its surrounding villages and settlements. Gaza, man, we know a lot about Gaza in the news, don't we? With its surrounding villages and settlements to the brook of Egypt and the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. In the hill country, Shamir, Jatir, Soko, Dana, Kiriath Sana, that is the beer, Anab, Eshtema, Anim, Goshen, Holon, and Gilo, 11 cities with their settlements. Arab, Dunama, Eshan, Janim, Beth, Tapua, Ephica, Humta, Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, and Zior, nine cities with their settlements. Maon, Carmel, Ziph, Judah, Juta, not Judah, Juta, Jezreel, Jokadim, Zonath, Cain, Gibeah, and Timnah, ten cities with their settlements. Halhol, Beth Zur, Gedor, Mar, Roth, Bethanon and El Tekon, six cities with their settlements. Kirith Baal, that is Kirith Jarim, and Rabbah, two cities with their settlements. In the wilderness, Beth Arba, Midian, Sekakha, and Nibishan, the city of Salt, and, and in Gedi, six cities with their settlements. And then finally, but the descendants of Judah could not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites still live in Jerusalem among the descendants of Judah today. Interesting that the Jebusites are still there, even when David comes along. So the God of the Bible gives inheritances that are real. These are real places. These are not made up mystical future things. These are, these are real inheritances. God has always been this way. God is a God of promises that are real. They're not fake. They're not made up. They're not a pie in the sky, hope for heaven with wings and a halo and a little harp. These are real. In fact, 1 John, uh, excuse me, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14 it says, And the Word became flesh. Real. Something that you could touch. Not a mystical Messiah that 
is just this perfect imaginary being or a wizard in the sky. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, John says. We saw Him in all of His glory. Glory as the one and only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. And this John was willing to testify to his death that he saw this. In a world full of concepts and ideas, sometimes we need a reminder of what is true and what is real. How many politicians have promised you pie-in-the-sky hope and real change and real differences, concepts? But the reality is this. Just like the baby in a manger, the king of glory that we celebrated last week came in real human flesh. He dwelt among us and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. This is a real being. This is a real entity. Jesus is real. God doesn't just promise us ideas. He brings us to Himself. He didn't just promise the Israelites a a land. He gave them something. He gave them real inheritances. Real cities. As Christians, we have the living Son of God as our inheritance. We have the promises made throughout Scripture, and we have a real inheritance. We have the body and the blood of Christ. We have a real inheritance. This is not an imaginary friend. Friends, this is real. This God who promises real things promised us Christ, and He delivered And not only that, he is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for the Christian. What better intercessor than someone who defeated the giants of sin and death? When we think about what God promises us through Jesus, I don't think we should just think about a cloud somewhere and we're sitting back and relaxing. We need to think about the new heavens and the new earth. If you read Revelation 21 through 22, think about what it means to have a full possession of this new inheritance. This this land belongs to the people of God. These cities today belong to the people of God. We should anticipate that when we die, we will be with the Lord. Something real. We should set our eyes of faith on the fullness of hope that the resurrection of our bodies brings at the return of our Lord. Look at Romans, or I'm going to read Romans 8.23 to you. It says, not only that, But we ourselves, who have the Spirit as the first fruits, we also groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We are eagerly waiting for the inheritance. We are eagerly waiting for that promise that the Lord has given us. Are you waiting? Are you groaning for this? Man, set your eyes on Jesus. With vigorous faith, trust fully in His completed work. I like how Jonathan Edwards, the author of uh, 70 resolutions, that he, prompt, he was going to resolve to do these things. And he says, one of the things that he, he has mentioned is that he wishes he could stamp or tattoo eternity on his eyeballs. So that everything that he looks at, he thinks about eternity. So this new year, I want you to think about this inheritance. This eternal inheritance that we get through our Lord, through the faith in Jesus Christ. I like how 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-7 through says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. This hope is a real tangible thing. This is not a, an imaginary friend. This is a real thing. 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance. And what is this inheritance? Incorruptible. Do you know that some of these cities, like that city of Debir, they're found, they find the ruins of that in archaeological digs, and it's been conquered and, and, and removed like multiple times. There's like a lot of layers. But this inheritance here that, that we are promised through Jesus Christ is incorruptible and undefiled and unfading, having been kept in heaven for you. Nothing on this earth can touch the inheritance that we have through our Lord Jesus Christ. It says, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, and guess what, friends, it is necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. We suffer in this world. That doesn't mean that our inheritance isn't there. It means that we are stuck in the wilderness. We are pilgrims in a strange land. And man, it's getting stranger by the day. Man, don't watch the news. All right, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable. Man, I love how firm a foundation. It's burning away the dross. The trials that you're experiencing are burning away the dross in your life so that the gold that is inside of you, that all that is good inside of you, is being, um, is being perfected. The reason that we walk this Christian life is to become more like Christ. The reason we go through suffering and trials is not because God wants to inflict pain, but to make us more like Jesus Christ, to be mature believers in our, in our Lord. And of course, it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Christ returns, what a beautiful day that's going to be. So, just like, the, like Judah did not drive out the Jebusites and they remained with them, in this life we're never going to be fully satisfied until the final day when Christ returns. So the summary statement of our message this morning is because God is faithful in the details, we must respond in faith and receive the tangible benefits. Now, I do not know what this coming year is going to bring. I do not know. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I do know that you must trust in God's promises this coming year. I know that you need to have a firm foundation because it's going to be hard. You are going to experience loss. There will be trials. That is what we are called to do as believers, to experience trials. But we need to commit this year that we will respond in faith and anticipate the tangible benefits that God offers through His promises. This new year, stamp eternity onto your eyeballs. I hope this passage encourages you to dig deeper into your reading plans this year. There's many reading plans on the back. If you don't have a reading plan through the Bible, uh, Ryan has been so gracious to print them out for us. And so you can choose a reading plan. Get in the Word and read through this with the eyes of faith. Understand these passages, that these passages point to Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I don't know how many times I've shared the same story, but I, I got stuck in Leviticus one time, and I was, I was crying tears over these passages. Not because it was so hard or difficult, but because the requirements of the law to approach a holy and perfect God were so great that I would have to kill an animal, sacrifice it, in order to be able to approach God with a prayer. But because of Jesus Christ, I don't have to do that. I can go freely to the throne of grace, no matter what, because the sacrifice has already been paid. So when you read Leviticus, 
shed tears of joy that you don't have to live that life. There's no, there's no forgiveness of sin without the remission of blood. And Christ remediated that blood, or remediated the sin through his blood. So I pray this year that you would read Scripture and you would see Christ in each passage. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, what a powerful message that Joshua brings us, that we can trust fully and put our hope completely in you and your promise that you would provide. You provide an inheritance, that you provide sustenance, that you provide rest when we need it so deeply and desperately. Father, that we need to hope in you, that we need to wait upon the Lord who is our strength. Father, I I thank you so much for your word. Father, I could not make it another day without the truth of your word. Father, I pray that you would help our congregation, that we would catch fire with the word, that we would be on fire with your, your truth. Lord, that we would be a people of the book and that we would take this book and we would share it with our neighbors, our friends, and those around us. Lord, I pray that Sierra Vista would be saturated with gospel-hoping people, that people would share the gospel to every single person in our community. Lord, our, our city desperately needs you. And Father, our churches desperately need you. Lord, I pray that you would raise up preachers of the gospel, that those would proclaim across this city, that your name would become great, and that you would be Lord over Sierra Vista, that everyone in Arizona recognizes that Sierra Vista belongs to you. Father, we pray that we would, uh, like John Knox, give us Sierra Vista or we die. Lord, I pray for these people who desperately need you. Help us to be a church that seeks to honor you, that is saturated by your word. Lord, be with us this coming year. Thank you for the year that you've given us. And Lord, I pray that we would walk boldly into this new year Uh, following your will, and be sanctified through it. We ask these things in the beautiful name of Christ, and all God's people said, amen.